Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Anne Jangle is a musician who makes dark folk with a West African bluesy influence. It's intimate, dreamy storytelling. On top of that, she's also an intrepid adventurer who's basically the bravest person I know. She's going to tell us all about it now, though. Hi, Anne. Hi. Oh, it's so lovely to see you. It's been so long, hey? And you are so full of stories. Yes. Of a life, like a proper life, that I'm looking forward to hearing. But I want to start at the beginning. Okay. Why music? What sparked your love of it? I guess it's because of the combination of being able to travel and being able to make money as I go. For me, I, I mean, I've always been a very big lover of music. So when I did meet music, I met music quite later on in life. I was only about, I think, 20 or 21. And I started with music and, yeah, it's just been been such a blessing because it helped me to do a lot of healing and traveling and as long as you have mm. music you'll always have food on the table and a roof over your head that is the truth and if you were to look at your career as a timeline what three to five highlights would give perspective to listeners who aren't familiar with you or your music the three highlights of my whole music career, one definitely being able to travel through Africa with my little guitar. So I was able to uplift communities through my gift of music. Also just being able to see the world will definitely be also another highlight. And then also, I think touring with PJ Powers. Wow. She definitely had a very big impact on the way I saw musicians that have played music for a very long time, a South African specifically, South African musician who has been able to still play music 30 odd years later. That was quite inspiring. Wow, I didn't even know about that. That's incredible. Yeah. And I'm talking about seeing the world. You also toured Berlin and Europe. Yeah, I did about 12 countries in Europe. Did everything from you know, Poland, Croatia, Slovenia, Czech Republic, Budapest. Germany, Switzerland, France, Italy, Spain. It's been real. <laughs> the last tour I did was um, 30 gigs in 31 days, crossing 12 borders, which was really brutal. No, but it taught me a lot. It showed me that I think Europeans are a lot more gig fit than us. <laughs> Actually, no, that's not true at all. South Africa is huge. I mean, you can literally fit half of Europe into South Africa, so I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> but there are so many more venues to play. Oh, so many, eh? So many. I mean, a lot less now, but many. And <laughs> the appreciation for me was just remarkable. Uh, people actually keep quiet and listen, and uh, they see music as a job and a very admirable, admirable, admiring, admirable. <laughs> It's like my favorite word, navigable. It's such a good word. <laughs> navigable. And I mean, you must have said that word a fair few times. 
yes. over the last couple of years. Yes, actually. <laughs> yes, you navigated your way from South Africa all the way to Kenya, woman alone. On a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about it. I was initially going to drive to Kenya. I got invited to play at the Khalifi New Year's Festival. I had been living in my van, actually, then. I did an 11-month tour across South Africa, 23,000 kilometers, myself, my sound guy, Mike. We had my trumpet player, Keegan Stienkamp, who joined now and then. Uh, 23,000 kilometers across South Africa. We raised over three tons of dog food. And I was, yeah, I was living in my van then for about just over a year, myself and my dog Kevin. And then I sold my van and I bought the tiniest, oldest little Toyota I could find, which was a 96 Toyota RAV4, put a new engine in, new clutch, new Alice. And then before driving to Kenya, I was in the Eastern Cape and I met this woman called Blanca Fernandez. You can actually Google it, Blanca on a bike. And she's, at the age of 60, she cycled from London to China, then flew to Cairo, cycled from Cairo and Egypt to Cape Town by the East Coast of Africa and back to London by the West Coast of Africa. So I met her in Kenton on Sea, Bushman's River. And I remember seeing this woman with the worst shoe tan I'd ever seen in my life from cycling in the sun for so many days. And she spent two years on the road on her bicycle. And I'd heard of some people doing crazy things, but never heard of a woman at the age of 62 cycling by herself. It's that far. I didn't know anything about bicycles. I think I cycled around Berlin, maybe around the block a few times when I went to some of the markets. And with me, I'm very stubborn and I'm very dedicated once I've decided to do something. So I looked at the bicycle and decided then and there, if she could do it, I can do it. So I decided I was going to cycle to Kenya. My main mission was still, even after doing the tour across South Africa with my sound guy, my trumpet player was to raise awareness for endangered wildlife and uplift communities through music. For me, this was always the main goal. So I asked on Facebook if someone could please sponsor me a bicycle because I want to cycle to Kenya. And then after about five minutes, I was like, what are you doing? You sound like such an idiot. You want to cycle to Kenya and ask me for a bicycle. You don't even have a bicycle. You sound like such an idiot. Just take it down. So I took it down. And then about two weeks later, I found in my inbox this message from a guy, Matthew De Jong in Centurion. And he said, are you serious about the cycling thing? We import bicycles. My whole family are vets and uh, we love animals and we're also your biggest fans. We love your music. Uh, we would like to sponsor you a bicycle if you're keen to do this. So. Oh my gosh, I got goosebumps. Oh, right. The universe. Beautiful. <laughs> so I phoned him up and I'm like, Hey, yeah, I'm really, I'm actually quite serious about this. So then at that stage, I was on my way to Mozambique to play Strap Festival and do a few more gigs along the way. And then he's like, cool, before you want to start your trek to Kenya, just come past Centurion. And I was like, oh, that's perfect because we're kind of on our way there. So got to Mozambique. I got a lift to Centurion after Mozambique. And then I met Matthew, 
got the bicycle. He taught me how to change a bicycle tire a week before I started my journey. And he showed me all these little tools and things. I was like, what the hell is this? But I was like, okay, cool. I'll probably figure it out on the way. And then a week later, I got <laughs> dropped at the, at the Botswana border. And then that was my journey. I, I cycled uh, Women Alone. It was called the African Dream Parade Tour, also the name of my solo album, African Dream Parade, my first solo album. And it took me seven months. Um, only got back after eight. I got a bit stuck in Kenya. I met some cool people and just ended up celebrating my journey a little longer <laughs> than I anticipated. But yeah, it took me seven months, Botswana. I went parallel to Namibia up the Trans-Kalahari Highway into Zim, Zimbabwe, and yeah, Zambia, Malawi, Tanzania. Took a ferry over to Zanzibar, back to Bagamoyo, and then up to Kenya. Wow, how many kilometers? It was about 5,000. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I miss it every single day. Oh, I'm sure. Gosh, hard to be home after something like that. It really is. I don't think I will ever be the same again. I don't think anyone that does something like that sees the world the same way again. Everywhere I go, I kind of feel a little bit trapped. Even though I have the most freeing life out of anyone I really know. (laughs) But yeah, the kindness, the kindness, the warm-hearted people and the simplicity and the fruit and just the yeah, the freedom. It's just, yeah. Wow. And also sleeping in a tent. I love sleeping outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so wonderful. But my question is practical logistics. Okay. How did you carry your guitar on your back? So I was also sponsored a little Martin Mini backpacker's guitar, a traveler's guitar, which I strapped onto my bicycle with bungee cord. Okay. Yeah. And how often did you play? Sometimes I would play every single day, but there were times when there was about two or three days in between where I didn't play. I would always find a little moment at night where I would just sit and look at the stars and just play my guitar. Yeah. And in terms of shows? I didn't really do a lot of shows except for three main shows, which was Zambia. It was on the Zambezi River, the mighty Zambezi River. We played on a, a sandbank in the middle of this of this river with crocodiles and hippos and there was elephants walking around and it was insane. It was called the Zambezi Shores Music Festival and then obviously mm. Kalifi Festival for New Year's in Kenya. And then I played in Zanzibar, I played a festival which was very unplanned, but I ended up playing with the late Fela Kuti, who invented uh, Afrobeat music, played with his keys player, because Fela Kuti obviously passed away in the 70s, but yeah, also a big pioneer of, of music. He was just broad East Nigerian Afrofusion into some very, very amazing beats. So yeah, it was very, it was a great honor playing with him. Otherwise, what I did was every village, where at the end of the day where I stopped, I would um, go to a school and I would ask if I could play to the children at the school. And I would do a little talk about how your relationship with animals directly influenced your relationship with yourself. I had to dumb it down a lot because the kids are very young. Yeah, I, I met some beautiful kids and teachers who would end up just singing with me and it was that big... And there's hundreds of kids at a time and the teachers are like doing their crazy singing and yeah, it was beautiful. 
I mean, sometimes I would freeze to death, but my little fingers would be forced to play, especially like I remember Botswana and, and then Zambia. I mean, it was peak winter and you don't think it could get that cold, but I mean, Transcalaria, I went like it's freezing. Um, and I didn't even have the right sleeping bag, so my zip broke, and then I got really sick, and like, well, anyway, but I would play my little guitar to all the children, and sometimes I would just play it to people in villages who I sleep with, like in the huts, or in their little broken down houses. I slept in a cow pen once, too. There weren't cows, thank God, but it was, it was quite interesting. Uh, I played to the person whose cow pen it was. Um, and then that's how we would trade also, like I'd get food and it was a really beautiful, um, I enjoyed playing to the children at the schools the most because they were very fascinated about this white lady. Some of the kids never seen a little guitar before and they would end up taking my guitar and playing. They'd play better than me. <sighs> I mean, you really have to take your whole idea of the world and toss it. Mm in order to not be afraid of something like this, in order to to just, like, be present. Mm. I mean, it's remarkable. Yeah, I think I was also very blessed in a way because at that stage I was, like, I was single, I'm not married, I don't have children, I'm not paying a bond on a house. Like, I was very free. Mm. So there was that aspect. My dogs was a very big problem. I think I cried for about two months straight. Uh, because I'm very close to my dogs and my babies. They were staying with uh, one of my best friends in Musenberg in Cape Town. And if there's anyone that loves dogs more than me, it's her. So she really <laughs> treated them well and I always got photos. And uh, I would actually, I video called my dogs a few times, but then Kevin freaked out. So he would start <laughs> licking the screen and then he'd start running around the room looking for me. And I thought that was a bit, that was a bit mean. Like I felt like I was traumatizing mm. him. So I stopped doing that. Also, I put my car in my friend's name, and I was like, if anything happens to me, if I die, just sell the car, and at least you can feed my dogs for the rest of their lives. <laughs> it sounds so dramatic, but I mean, you got to think of these things, you know? <laughs> you absolutely do. Yeah. And now, best and worst of the trip? Favorite moments and worst moments? Uh, my favorite moment definitely was when I reached the Kenyan border. I was just sobbing my eyes out, like when I saw that little board that said Kenya, I almost wanted to hug all the people at border control, but they're quite hardcore. So every time I'd come close to them anywhere, they'll be like, huh, you know, like pull their gun out or whatever. So I was like, okay, my bad. <laughs> but I remember seeing the Kenyan little plate and I was just, I don't think I've ever experienced such a amazing, overwhelming, I've never been so overwhelmed with emotion before. And then obviously, yeah, my, my worst was I got really, really sick in Zambia and I think I drank the wrong water and I ended up shitting and vomiting in my cooking pot in my tent for two days. It was so cold and I was boiling hot at the same oh. time. I was really sick. I couldn't get out of my tent. And I thought, oh, cool. I'm going to die in Zambia. I don't know anyone here. I've never been here before. Like, that's it. I didn't even get to Kenya and I just going to end up dying in my freaking tent in Zambia. So that was... Definitely the worst part. There was also the fear of the elephants. And then I had a hyena sniff my head through my tent. Oh, my God. Elephants breaking branches above my tent. So the branches were, like, falling down. And I don't sleep with a tent cover, the sail. So it was basically like sleeping in a mosquito net. So I could see everything because I loved falling asleep and watching the stars. And yeah, so there were, there were a few really scary, <laughs> quite bad, but the... 
The shitting and vomiting in my cooking pot for two days. My daddy said it was definitely the worst. <laughs> Nothing more humbling than that. You know, and then having to cook in that pot a couple of days later. You're like, I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, hectic. Yeah. And did you write while you were traveling? Every single day I wrote in a tiny little book. I got about three sentences in one line in this little book. And a little plastic cover at my mom's house in Cape Town. So every single night I rode in there, except a few nights where you'd meet really cool people and they'd take you into the middle of nowhere and have a nice gathering in some wildlife area. So obviously then, you know, you have a couple of beers and you <laughs> don't write. <laughs> and are you going to turn that into songs or a book maybe? I am definitely thinking about writing a book, but... There's still a lot of cool adventures coming up, so I'm still gathering more things to write about. Uh, and then I've got my documentary that's out called African Dream Parade, which is on YouTube, thanks to Just Music South Africa, who paid and organized everything for me. So, yeah, the documentary is pretty cool. I still cry every time I watch it, uh, the end part. So it's very interesting, and for anyone that wants some inspiration and some... Woman power, they should, or you like any power, just inspiration and <laughs> should watch it. No, it's remarkable. I went and watched it last night. Yeah. Blown <laughs> away. So let's veer off that a bit and talk about your songwriting process. How do you write? Do you have a, a way, a formulaic way you go, or is it different every time? I find that I play with my guitar first and then I come up with some cool riffs or a chord progression. And then the words just come out and they feel right. They feel like they fit mm. the feeling of the chords. I find that is mostly how my songwriting process works. It's never the words first. It's always the guitar, the chords. Yeah, and, and then it just it, it brings up certain emotions and then I put the words to it. Did you connect with any other musicians on the trip? Yeah, loads. In Zanzibar mostly or from Tanzania. I connected with loads of musicians there. The musicians in Tanzania are just absolutely mind-blowing. Their style, their rhythms are different, the instruments. It's just old, ancient, traditional music that's been passed on generations and generations. Oh, flip, that actually just changed my whole, almost my way of writing music my style it definitely had a very big influence on my style but yeah i connected with a lot of musicians from all around the world nigeria congo europe uh, there were some south americans israelis yeah look just everywhere I, I found them all in tanzania just blown away i felt quite intimidated to be honest because the the caliber of music was just oh wow i mean just wow and did you collaborate, Matt? I did collaborate on stage. I had a lot of... Fadile was from Kenya. He, he played guitar with me. I had an Israeli bass player who was on stage with me and a drummer who's, like, from everywhere. I think the guy squats in every single country, but just incredible. At one stage in Zanzibar, um, at this festival, I just eventually just put my guitar down and I was just singing because these guys, they were just in the pocket. They were just like this solid groove section and they were just, 
they were on fire, man. They just kept going. And I was like, mm, okay, well, this guitar's putting this thing down on. It's, it's just singing. <laughs> it's so amazing. Yeah, I did a lot of collaborating. And then obviously playing with Deleso Simi, who's the key player from from the late Fela Kuti. When I was playing with him, I just remember at, at, at one stage, because I was his backup singer for, for some of the songs, some Fela Kuti songs, actually. And uh, at one stage, it was myself and this girl, Ingrid, from Scandinavia. Uh, she also plays this really weird, like a lap steel, but you play it like a piano, playing with a pick. Just weird things. I don't even know. I don't have words for it. It's just like everything was just so sensory overload. It was just so beautiful and entertaining. But anyway, we were the backup singers. And at one stage, I just stopped singing. I was just staring at Dele playing the keys because he was so good. I mean, you can imagine playing keys for like 40 years with people from all around the world. He, I think he lives in London now. I remember just staring at him and thinking like, how do you, I mean, like, that's definitely channeling something. That's not human. I was just blown away by all these musicians. Yeah, some of the saxophone players also, like, their style. I mean, I had my full band for many years with saxophones and trumpets, accordions, banjos, everything. But, I mean, these guys were all trained in music school, you know. They all went to go study music. And then you meet people that play the same instruments, over there, like throughout Africa, and it's just completely different. And it's so important, I feel, especially as musicians who live in any single country, I feel it's so important to go experience the people that play the same instrument you play, but in other countries from all around the world. It's really important. It just broadens your whole horizon. Amazing. What an incredible honor. And in terms of the collaborations, was it mostly a situation where it would be like a jam sort of thing? Somebody would just get up and play? Or was there time for rehearsal before? No, there was no rehearsing. It was, everything was just jamming. Everything. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That takes courage as well. Big time. You really put yourself out there. You make yourself super vulnerable. And I remember at one stage when I was playing, I would just shout, gee, and then I would just be like, Doop, and then the whole chord change, the whole song changes, and then they would play it better than if we had to rehearse it. Yeah, just the jamming was, that's where the beauty lies, the heart. Yeah. And did any of that stuff get captured on film or? There are some videos out there definitely are <laughs> there might be a few i think there's a few clips i kind of wish i gave someone my phone or actually took people's numbers more and asked them to send me some stuff there's a lot of footage from uh, zambezi shores music festival no i could get it i actually could get it i know a few people that took some footage that's a good call, Tori. Well done. I should have actually, I should call them, eh? <laughs> well, I mean, it'd be nice to get it, but at the end of the day, it's not about that. Mm. It's not about having a record of it. It's the fact that you did it and it's in your cells now. For yeah, ever. it's in your soul. It's in your soul. It's in your heart. And it's, and it's in my, it's in my memory. And it's in your cellular memory, yes. in your body. Your body will never forget Absolutely. That. Yeah. And because of that, now I'm, yeah. now I'm moving there. <laughs> The jam was so great. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that's how great it was. Oh my gosh. Okay. I mean, we are going to talk about that now because I'm so excited for you about what's coming up next. Mm. But first, I want to take a couple of steps back because obviously COVID came along after this trip, but before now. Yeah. And really messed with things a little bit. Um, what are some of the challenges that you see musicians today facing? Because of COVID or just generally? Yeah, both. Because of COVID and just generally, yeah. My heart really bleeds for people, musicians who would like to start a music career now because it's just, it's so difficult now because it's almost like there's no, you don't have to be good at it anymore. Mm. I was reading this thing on um, just the two of us. We can make it if we try. What's the name again? Bill Withers. There we go. So Bill Withers said back in his day, ugly woman played beautiful music. And today, beautiful women play ugly music. So he actually quit the industry, what, like 20 years ago or something? And his music still topped charts until the day he died. I mean, he played grandma's hands. And just the two of us, we can make it if we try. I mean, come on, it's like one of the most famous songs ever. So <laughs> I, it really hit home when you said that because it's so true. Today, it's, there's so much pressure having to look a certain way. And, you know, this is not if you want to survive financially. Mm. And for me personally, I was approached by record labels and people who wanted to own me, change my image, you know, a little bit and tell me what to sing. And that's when I tapped out. I was like, I want nothing to do with anything about this industry. I'm doing my own movement. I'm playing my music. I own 100% rights to all my music. And I will play where I want to play. If I want to play at a train station on the streets, I'll do that if I want to play. That's why I started Conscious Concerts, because I feel as a musician, if you want to financially survive or just, I mean, now obviously with COVID, it's a lot different, but if you want to survive you have to do your own thing you have to be a hundred percent individual but i mean i don't think there's many other industries on this planet that face so many challenges as the music industry people in the music industry it's really tough eh and you take a lot of knocks your ego gets absolutely smashed daily (laughs) one day you great the next day you do something little and the world hates you, you know. So, yeah, I've taken a lot of knocks and that's why I just, I was like, that's it, I'm done. Everybody can go suck a bag of potatoes. I'm going to do my own thing. Talk about Conscious Concerts. So Conscious Concerts is a movement where I do a screening of my documentary. I do a talk on solo female travel and the fears Um, of the music industry and as a woman how to dig out the courage to do anything really and then a music performance and that is what I'm taking through Africa uh, purely because I want to collaborate more with other musicians so I will find someone in the area whose music 
touches me in a way where I feel I can learn from them and then collaborate. Wonderful. And then they also get exposure like that. And you should totally do a TED Talk. I should, hey. Yeah, you should email them and do one. Okay. Put it on your to-do list. I'll put that on my to-do list. TED Talk, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're obviously getting super creative about making a living. Mm. Obviously with the conscious concerts and this new tour that's coming up we're going to talk about that now now but what else are you doing at the moment to make money i mean are you doing shows have you been able to do any i get to do some shows now yeah and i'm just pretty much focusing on the next adventure yeah at the moment i feel like i've just taken a bit of a breather slowed down a bit i was doing quite hectic corporate events before cycling and I just ended up absolutely hating it Um, but I made quite a lot of good money out of that which sustained me for quite a while but right now it's a few odd gigs here and there and it's okay I'm learning to deal with that obviously it's my ego is taking like a giant knock but it's just something I have to deal with I think everybody's just got to deal with that. And I think the universe is just telling us to just slow down and and rethink things. Yeah, just come up with new ways to be creative and also just getting in touch with ourselves a bit more. And, but yeah, I think, I mean, there are some shows that come up that allow for accommodation and food and stay. And that's okay. You know, I'm a very simple person. I don't need much. It doesn't take much to be happy. So I'm okay with just having a roof over my head and just being able to play guitar to a few people and having having some food, you know. It's really all I need. Yeah. This is it. What needs? <laughs> so waiting for the bloody borders to open <laughs> and then going to Tanzania via Namibia. I've got some shows around there. Uh, the money's pretty much everywhere there. Funnily enough, it's South Africa is the only country where things have just been completely shut down. But obviously, there's more people per couple of kilometers. I don't know. There's just more people. So I guess it makes sense for them to shut us down, events and things like that. Yeah. But if you look at Tanzania, Namibia... Zambia, the music scene is flourishing. Kenya, it's pumping. People are conscious of what's going on. People aren't stupid. They know that there's this thing that they have to be aware of and there's washing of hands and things, but people are still making their money from playing shows and doing festivals and stuff. So that is next, moving to Tanzania. I want to get a lot more involved with the community. Um, I want to help uplift the community with music, which is what I've been doing now for the last few years, and definitely staying connected with helping animals, raising awareness for endangered wildlife. Uh, There's a lot of work to be done, and I found from all the countries, my heart definitely stayed in Tanzania 
And that's why I want to work with animals. And I'm trying to get some guitar sponsorships now just for like some entry-level cheap little guitars, which I want to give to the community. Because women leave school at the age of 13, 14. I'm not a fan of schooling systems, but I feel it's important that people are educated. They must know how to learn to read and write. Uh, It's very important. Otherwise, they just become baby-making machines. Most men end up just drinking, you know. I feel if I can make even the slightest bit of change, then I'm going to do it and I'm going to give it my all. So that's why I'm heading to Tanzania. And then from there, my boyfriend also cycles. So Mark's going to join me. We're going to cycle the rest of the East African cycling route to Egypt. I want to go into Israel and there are many more countries where uh, we can connect with the people in a positive way on our bicycles. <laughs> wow, you are incredibly inspiring. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so as we kind of run down to the end of the show, is there a song that you wish that you had written that exists out there in the world? Silver Springs, Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks, What a Babe. Oh. <laughs> Oh, no, no, nobody can beat her. She's the reason why I own a tambourine. (laughs) It's like, I want to be that witch. (laughs) Oh, I love that. And you have a wishlist collaboration. Yes. Msafiri Zawoza. They're from Bagamoyo in Tanzania. Do yourself a favor and Google Msafiri Zawoza. They are the most captivating brilliant band i have ever experienced live it's old swahili songs and chants that have been passed on for generations and uh, they play with a big xylophone gigantic big xylophone and it's a lot of this chanting music and they wear these little bells and trinkets and things around their feet and it's just this chanting this complete just puts you in such a trance and they harmonize three or four guys and they also use different instruments old traditional african instruments and it is absolutely incredible i had the honor of jumping on stage with them for a couple of seconds when we had the final jam at this one festival in zanzibar but Yes, that just sparked something in me and I need to collaborate with them. I've spoken to Safir and he said, it's cool, we can do it. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, oh. Yeah, they're good. Eh? So yeah, nice. Incredible. Oh, totally going to Google. Okay, what advice would you give indie artists to keep them keeping on? And advice for anyone afraid to do difficult and improbable things? So the first question the advice to any indie artist is to just absolutely not care what anyone thinks and just carry on if you want to do it do it just do it just keep doing it write your music sing your songs play your music sing to whoever's out there who wants to listen and to those who don't want to listen the amount of times people have told me my music sucks and I should rather not sing. I mean, I was like, okay, dude, well, that's just like your opinion, man. (laughs) 
and it's 12, 13 years later and I'm still jamming and it's just, it just gets better and better. So that's, that would be my advice. Just carry on, just keep doing it. Don't care about what they think. Everybody's got their own opinions and people love to have opinions about everything. Screw their opinions. And then uh, the second one, the only thing you have to fear is, is it's so cliche, but is fear itself. So your fear is going to stop you from doing things purely because you have this feeling of fear. Just feel fearful. But that's the most fearful thing is that feeling. Your heart races, your palms are sweaty. You just, well, I almost said mom's spaghetti. It sounded like that. It was <laughs> Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's the only thing. And you have to just cut off from that. I think people fear things working out more than things not working out. Cause what do you do with, with this? Like, oh my gosh, it just totally worked out. What now? What do I do? You know, because people are always expecting for things not to work out. But yeah, yeah, man, fear is actually just, it's healthy. Now I always find Simple things like the things I fear the most once I've conquered them are the ones I remember and had the most fun on and were always my greatest adventures. With gigs as well, the gigs that I'm the most nervous to play uh, before stage, I actually feel like, like giving a little, um, those, those gigs that I fear the most are the ones that I always end up enjoying the most. Yeah, definitely agreed. Someone once told me that the nerves were the gods of the stage welcoming you. <gasps> wow. That's cool. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, how can people get in touch with you or find out more about what you're up to? Or how can they support your next adventure? What are your social media links? So the most important one is my website, www.anjangle.com. Uh, there is a click to donate button we are trying to raise eight thousand dollars which is about 120 thousand rand which in the broader spectrum of things is actually not a lot of money at all this will cover vehicle and petrol and the guitars um, i need to get a whole bunch of very small entry level small little guitars to hand out to the kids it will also provide some soccer balls and any emergencies we might experience on the way. So everything is 100% transparent. So any donations that get made goes up on the website. You see who gave the money, how much they gave, and what exactly it gets allocated to. It's 100% non-profit. There's absolutely nothing that goes to me i have everything i want i've met a very beautiful man and i have two very beautiful dogs and i have my bicycle and i have my guitar and that is all i need and want <laughs> and no thank you to any kind of home houses bonds and things and all this hooters i literally own one bag of clothes for the last three years yes so there's the click to donate if any companies would like to get on board there is a downloadable proposal so you can download this proposal you can read exactly the mission um so we are going to be driving four by four we're trying to get a vehicle sponsorship and if not we will be buying a vehicle 
if a company wants to get on board, their logo goes onto the vehicle. This whole journey will be documented. And just like this documentary that came out, African Dream Parade of My Cycling Trip, so there will be another documentary coming out, which will be screened all around the world. Currently, African Dream Parade is on TV in Canada, Brazil, and Australia, and now in South Africa. Um, it will be screening on DSTV within the next couple of weeks i can't remember what the date is now we're trying to get it we're trying to get it on netflix <laughs> um so we're working on these things but yeah if, if companies want to get involved it will the branding will go on the vehicle and there will be a lot of exposure um, involved in that um, anyone can download this proposal and um, share it onto any companies who they think would like to get involved. Um, we've already got Nature Hike Africa on board, specialized, who will be helping us with the cycling. So once we get to Tanzania, we'll be cycling the rest of the East African route. Yeah, Norco Bicycles, thank you to Matthew de Jong and Just Music South Africa helping with the documentary part of it and the getting the music out there part of it and also just a word of advice to everybody anyone that actually listens to music which is everyone on the planet download music now this is the time any artist you like download music as much as you can support your local artist please wonderful i think you might be my new hero yay <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming thank to you tori it's so lovely to see you oh. again Good luck. We will be following every move. Thank you. Thank you. It means a lot. Every little bit of support helps a lot. It's always the words of encouragement that get you through the day, hey? People literally saved my life many, 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 many days on, on my cycling adventure. So thank you. If you are an indie artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on Instagram at Shotgun Tori. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. Across this land, me and my all two wheels. Seven old moms to push through the sand. Push through the sand. Push through the sand. Seven old moms to push through the sand. Me and my all two wheels. I played with the trees I broke my body to find me Played with the herbs I played with the trees I broke my body to find me
Thank you.